Good morning once again. This is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus pandemic here in Mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Mondays and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. on KOPN, and all episodes can be found online at kopn.org and on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today on the show, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman joins us to discuss the B117 variant, the most common virus variant that is now driving cases across the U.S., and we'll also cover new developments in vaccine trials for our younger populations under the age of 16. Good morning, Dr. Alleman. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm doing fine. I rode my bike in today and feeling good in this brisk uh, spring weather. <laughs> yeah, so and I missed part of it, but I'll catch it later on the archive show. But um, one of the things that I'm thinking about this morning is my time at Standing Rock. I was able to be there just very briefly for about a week and a half. And um, the the community that... Um, <clears throat> LaDonna Bravebull Allard was had created was a thing of great beauty. They had built a, a schoolhouse uh, that was a, a straw bale structure. It was just gorgeous. And all of that got bulldozed, even though it was on private land, um, which is just a sadness to me. So mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, I'm feeling I'm so grateful that I got to see it, so grateful that I got to be there, so grateful for um LaDonna's work, and um, so sad that uh, she has left us. Hopefully she'll be, I'm sure she will be helpful as an ancestor. Um, Anyway, so uh, just, you know, a lot of um, changes have happened since uh, I was at uh, Standing Rock and since all of those people were there. So, but our focus, trying to stay very focused on the COVID-19, uh, pandemic that's happening here in Missouri as well as around the world. Um, and remembering that, you know, throughout this whole um, issue, the, this whole period of time, historical time, that my focus has been on trying to prevent the disaster from getting bigger, as it would certainly have done and could still do, I guess, if our hospital systems collapse. Um And it looks like we are just living farther and farther away from that. So I'm going to talk about cases, but I just um, had to remind myself that um, concerning things are happening. There is stress to the system in Michigan, um, and that looks like it's headed our way. But that for right now, our hospital system and our medical system seem to be functioning without a significant amount of stress. they, they have been through some hard times, and um, people are still needing to heal from what they've been through, um, which is, you know, almost uh, difficult to measure. But right now, uh, what we're doing um, seems to have um, helped that situation. So starting with Boone County, again, our, health, our hospitals are functioning in the green we have um, today, we have only, uh, we have zero positive patients on a ventilator in Boone County, 16 uh, cases in the hospital, and four of those are from uh, Boone County. Um, our case uh, uh, rates are um, running in about the 20s. You know, our average cases are. So a little higher than they were a couple of weeks ago. 
um, we are doing uh, way fewer tests and our positivity rate is back up to 16%. It had gone down below 10% um, and it's uh, back up to 16%, which means that, um, you know, that tells us whether we're doing enough tests. We want to do so many tests that most of the, the vast majority of them are negative uh, because it's a statistic that looks at <clears throat> whether we're missing a lot of cases. So we're starting to miss some more cases. The Missouri, Missouri Sewer Shed Surveillance Project is indicating that the center part of the state um, seems to be doing well with most of the sewer sheds uh, that are being sampled being stable or having declining numbers, including in Missouri, in Columbia, are sort of pretty stable. Um, but the, the northeast part of the state, which shares a border, of course, with Illinois, um, where cases are rising, and the southwest part of the state, which shares a border with Arkansas and Oklahoma, also places that um, cases are either stable or increasing, show increasing numbers. So, um, you know, we know that we've known for the for the entire duration that um, uh, the virus does not respect uh, geographical borders. So, according to Matthew Holloway's data, he reported on Friday, as last time he reported, um, 505 cases from 52 jurisdictions, and no deaths were reported on Friday, which is a the <clears throat> first time in many, many months that Missouri has reported no deaths. And, of course, that may just be a statistical aberration. Of course, deaths get – there's a delay between the time of death and the reporting of death that has to do with the completion of a death certificate and the firing, filing of paper at work and the processing of those things before they're reported. But still, it seems um, uh, significant. Um, uh, we – um, are, have throughout this, Missouri has been um, one to three months behind um, the Northeast and the Upper Midwest in um, in the other waves that we've had. So when cases will increase in the Northeast or sometimes in the Northwest, move across the northern part of the Midwest, and then um, head south. And I think we're sort of seeing that. So. You know, it's just a matter of watching to see whether we can vaccinate people uh, more quickly than the new variant will spread here. Which brings us to the variant. You know, I'm not sure what we call them when a variant becomes the predominant uh, strain. So, and I'm not even sure what we call the original strain, but I'm just going to call it the original strain um, that was first identified in Wuhan and has spread across the globe. But then we began to, uh, right away, we could see that the virus was um, mutating and genetically uh, varying itself. And we were we mainly identified um, variants of concern. <clears throat> and one of the first ones to be identified was the one that was first noted in uh, September in Kent, England, which is called either the English variant or the B117 or the variant of concern 2019-01. 2020-01, sorry. Um, <clears throat> and that, according to CDC, has now become the most common uh, strain of the virus that is infecting Americans. And I don't, I didn't notice on the press release when they said that it happened. I'm not sure we know. <clears throat> Which makes us wonder, like, okay, how is that one different? You know, like, 
all right, so that's what we're dealing with now. And many things are the same. So it is still spread in the same ways, almost exclusively by breathing the exhaled air of a person who's infected. Um, so while we still spend a lot of time disinfecting surfaces and um, washing our hands, um, those are probably not the most common ways that this is um, transmitted. So if you were thinking you would up your game because of the possibility of increasing numbers or an increasingly uh, contagious variant, that to, to remember that it's about staying out of places where there are lots of other people breathing the same air, staying farther away from people, and wearing a mask um, over your mouth and your nose. This variant seems to cause the same symptoms, so it's not like we're worried that, um, boy, it's going to be confusing and we won't be able to diagnose it. It's still most commonly a um, new cough, a loss of smell or taste, and a fever. Um, but there are, of course, as we know, many, many other symptoms, and we're still hoping that people who have any of those symptoms or and or have been exposed, even if you think it's allergies, that we're hoping that people will still go and get tested. So, um, But the differences are that it seems to be more contagious. It is more easily spread, and we think that has to do with the the changes in the shape of the spike protein, which is what sticks out from the vi viral capsule and attaches to the <clears throat> ACE receptors in our respiratory lining, mostly in our nose. And um, this one seems to bind better, and this, like, maybe we could call it stickier. So it's sort of like you're walking through a uh, the woods and you get stick tights on you, the little seeds um, that stick, and the ones that are going to make it farther are the ones that can stick on your clothing better and don't get knocked off by something else. And, um, and then the question has been whether it causes a different amount of severity of disease. And that's why I wanted to spend a little time looking at an article in the British Medical Journal, which we can post a link to this on our Facebook page and on the station's Facebook page, the Community Pulse show notes and such. And I have posted it on my Facebook page. So this is British Medical Journal, Risk of Mortality in Patients Infected with SARS-CoV-2 Variant of Concern 2NT2012-1. And it's a matched cohort study. It was published on the 10th of March. Um, so it's hard to ask, answer this question. Like, is this, is this virus causing more severe disease than the other? Huh, it's hard to know. Um, many things make it difficult. One is that we aren't doing genetic sequencing on every person that gets told they have the, the disease. So we, not everybody who's treating them or who has it knows which variant they have. Yeah, that was a question that I had. I, I'm, I'm curious if we know here in mid-Missouri if we have an idea of how often virus tests are sequenced to determine if it is indeed the variant or not. That is a great question, and I don't know the answer to that. It's my understanding that Denmark is doing the most sequencing 
and the UK is doing the second most sequencing, and the United States is significantly behind that, although doing more than we were. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, what they did was they matched. So this is a matched study where we, of course, aren't going to do a randomized controlled trial because we are not going to deliberately infect anybody, but we could look at people. And so what they did was they, they found 54,906 matched pairs of participants who tested positive for COVID-2. Uh, between October 2020 and the 29th of January 2021. And then they followed them until February 12th of 2021. And so they matched these people uh, by age, sex, ethnicity. I don't know, somehow index of multiple deprivation. I'm not sure what that is, but I think that may be some sort of uh, vulnerability score. And uh, their region and the sample date. And so they were trying to have these people only differ, differing by the detectability um, of, by, by whether they had the variant or they had the original strain. And they were only looking, their main outcome measure was death within 20 days after the first positive SARS-CoV-2 test result. And that is a statistic that the United Kingdom is following that we don't seem to be following in the United States. Um, we're trying to pick up people who might have had their death affected by the fact that they um, had COVID-2, uh, I mean, COVID, COVID disease, but maybe it didn't get listed on the death certificate or maybe the death certificate has not been processed yet. Um, and it looked like um, the, the mortality hazard ratio was 1.64. So uh, for every one death in the old variant group, there were 1.64 deaths in the new variant group. So you were, you know, I'm not sure how to say this. You were significantly more likely to die. So about one and a half times as likely to die as the um, people who were infected with the old variant. Now, there are lots of things that can mess with the data here. One is that this happened over time. And what we ha have all experienced is that this pandemic has changed. Like every week is a little bit different. So what happened in the United Kingdom between October 2020 and the end of January 2021 is uh, they began to vaccinate people, not in huge numbers, but the United Kingdom was really one of the first countries to vaccinate, seriously roll out a vaccine program. Um, and uh, the variant became more common and they had marked increases in cases and their hospital system became more stressed. So the variant cases um, might have happened more commonly at a time when the, hospital, the hospitals were not able to provide the same level of care to very sick people. So, um, and this, they did not ask questions like, 
well, you know, what were the oxygen saturations and did people have fever and what was the course of things? Um, so we're not really answering many of the questions that I have, like, well, will people look different? And am I going to be able to tell with anything other than a gene sequencing whether a patient has that? And I don't, I don't think we have that answer from this study. Um, one of the things that was very interesting is I, I'm always, I'm a visual person apparently, so the graphics always strike me. It looks like the, the uh, mortality rate um, among the, the difference in survivability. It's actually the survival probability between the people who were infected with the old variant, which they're calling S gene positive and the new variant, which they're calling S-gene negative, started at about um, 14 days uh, from the test. And that's an interesting thing because the virus, we think that that's into the inflammatory phase. It's been a while since we've kind of been through this. So when a person gets sick with COVID for the first, I don't know, week to 10 days, the virus is actively replicating, and we're calling that the viral replication, the infectious stage. And that's when we think that we need to do interventions that would, um, like antiviral uh, interventions where we're trying to attack the virus. And then after that, we enter into an inflammatory phase where the body is, is the virus we think is, live virus is probably gone. Um, or minimally replicating, but what's left is, you know, cleanup and healing, and that that's when the inflammation starts to get bigger and we see deaths from inflammation. So um, it's just interesting that it appears that the, it's, it's also when most of the deaths happen. So it may be a statistical, um, uh, maybe something about statistics that I don't understand. Um, and it's not answering the question of, like, is this more likely to infect a different group of people? One of the concerns is that maybe the variant infects younger people and causes more severe disease in young, younger people. We didn't see that in this study that I can detect. It's still most of the deaths were in people over the age of 60. Do you have any questions or comments, Tim? No, I think that's all clear to me. I think one of the remaining questions that a lot of us have are the, the vaccine's effectiveness against these variants, and I know that's uh, we still don't really know fully. So it appears that the vaccine continues to provide protection for this variant, and one of the ways to see that is that case numbers in the United Kingdom have come down pretty quickly once they got their vaccination program going, even though the vast majority of the transmission in the United Kingdom is a B117 variant. Mm -hmm. That is not the same information as we would get from a study. Um, but there are also, and at this point, it is, real, it is a hard thing to test the effectiveness of a vaccine. You know, if you remember, what you have to do is give some people the vaccine and some people a placebo, and then you have to send them out into the world with your blessing and see how many of them get sick from the disease. Right. And to do that repeatedly as the variants come through is um, difficult, and we haven't really tried that much. Um, what we can 
we can speculate based on whether people who are enrolled in the study, say, in South Africa, where they have a different variant, have a different effectiveness rate of the vaccine than, say, in the United Kingdom, where it's a B117 variant, or yeah, in the United States back when we did these studies where we had the wild type of the original variant. Mm -hmm. Um, the other way we're trying to look at that is to see, is to draw blood from people who've been vaccinated and test their blood, look at the antibodies they have to see whether that antibody is um, effective in um, slowing down the replication of the virus in a, in a lab or whether the virus binds effectively to the new spike protein. And so far, and that, of course, does not um, answer the question about whether T-cell immunity is still effective. So we're, we are still scratching our heads about that. But it appears that the effectiveness for the B117 variant is similar, and the one, the P variant that is coming from uh, Brazil seems to perhaps be able to evade some of the protection from the vaccine. I see. Well, we do have a question here in the studio. I'm joined yeah. uh, by a mm -hmm. fellow volunteer, Mazino. Mazino? Yeah, good morning, Doctor. Good morning, Mazino. It's really lovely to make your acquaintance. My pleasure. Um, over, over the weekend, um, a, a study by um, some Israeli scientists revealed that um, the virus, uh, they didn't sp actually specify the variant, but they said uh, the virus uh, tends to break through one of the aforementioned uh, vaccines. I won't mention the name, but they did say, based on their studies, that the, the, um, the virus can break through the vaccine. So I want to find out now, based on the fact that we have the prevalence of this variant now in Missouri, um, have studies shown to what extent this uh, virus can break through the vaccines that are being administered currently across the state? No, not that I know of. I mean, I and if you could send me a link to what you're you're reading, that would be lovely. I mean, of course not. not well, we're on the air, but because um, I think that it's like trying to figure out how to answer that question is is a little baffling to me. I am confident that smart scientists are going to figure that out. Um, but as it stands right now, the vaccine that we have seems to be continue to have efficacy. And remember, these vaccines have almost, so far, all of these vaccines in the studies. Now, again, the, the variants are developing um, as we're studying, um, have shown, but still they are showing 100 percent efficacy in preventing death um, in the studies. And I don't believe that we're going to see 100 percent efficacy in real world because it's the real world and nothing is 100 percent. But so even if we saw some escape, we have a lot of wiggle room in that. Um, and that they are also very effective in preventing severe disease. So we can expect that we would have fewer people hospitalized. And I think that critics of the way we have responded to the pandemic have made really good points that um, that maybe we're overreacting because what if this is no worse than the flu? And I think if we, again, influenza kills many people, and I would like for it to be even milder than that. But if we can, through vaccination or infection and recovery, create a situation where 99% of people had a mild illness and only 1% needed to be hospitalized, 
then we would still be calling that a success. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and let's see. So since we're talking about vaccination, thanks for that segue. Here's the thing. As of Friday, every single person in Missouri who is 16 years old or older can get a vaccine. They can sign up. They, everybody qualifies. There is no reason to wait your turn. Do not, you should not be waiting for someone to contact you. This is the time to, um, if you are interested in being vaccinated, and uh, if you're not, I'd love to talk to you, and I'm so curious about that. Um, but if you are willing and able to be vaccinated, um, you're, everybody qualifies. And as far as I know, they are not testing, they are not identifying people based on, like not asking you whether you live here or not. You do not have to prove that you're a Missouri resident to get a vaccine. Um, so if you know somebody in a neighboring state who's willing to drive, there are so many vaccine appointments. So the easiest way to get an appointment is to go to a website called vaccinespotter.org, vaccinespotter.org. And then you would uh, scroll down until you found Missouri, click on Missouri, and what comes up for you is this really um, lovely uh, graphic of the state of Missouri, and there are green dots all over the state showing you where there are vaccine appointments available. And um, there are vaccine appointments available everywhere across the state. Um, the red dots will tell you where there is a vaccinator who doesn't currently have appointments. And there are more red dots in the St. Louis area and a few in the Kansas City area, which is a you know, challenge of distribution and uptake that we have talked about before. And you just click on one of those dots that's close to you, and it will tell you who and uh, when and where you could get which vaccine. Uh, they're being very transparent about which vaccine they're giving. I have been really surprised at how many people are preferring the Johnson & Johnson vaccine because it's uh, more convenient. You only need one uh, vaccine. And I know people are just eager to be fully protected and, you know, ready to fly or visit family or whatever they're planning on doing. Um, and I would say that some, because of the supply chain issues, Johnson & Johnson is currently very available but might become in short supply. So you, I would encourage anybody to be a little flexible about which vaccine they can get, um, especially if they might have to wait for their, their first choice. Uh, because um, sooner is better than later, um, given that we still have transmission in our community. Um, and then if you need some help, uh, there are helpful people. Jenny Chadwick, the co-host of the show, is one of those helpful people. And they, the easiest way to get through to them is their Facebook group. Uh, they are nicknaming themselves Vaccine Sharks because they're just trolling around looking for vaccine appointments. But officially, the way you would find them is Missouri COVID-19, the number 19, vaccine information. And that is a Facebook group, and you can um, contact them. They have a link on their Facebook page to their form that you fill out, and someone will get back in touch with you. Um, they are um, have been very busy, but apparently expected to be really busy once the uh, eligibility open to all adults, but um, they have not been that busy, and so they are available to help you if you have trouble. And they are really hoping to help people who 
have like special reasons why it might be difficult um, that people with difficulty with transportation or who might be homebound and they have um, or have other reasons why uh, a particular vaccine is important or a particular timing. They especially have a heart for people who are um, a part of uh, uh, vulnerable members of our community, so people of racial and ethnic minorities uh, groups. I'm sorry, we don't call them, we don't use the word minority anymore. I'm so sorry, I'm, I'm old fashioned. And, um, but people in groups who are especially vulnerable. Um, so if you are, uh, if you are feeling especially vulnerable or just very eager to get a vaccine, the vaccine sharks are standing by ready to help you. And Pfizer just um, applied for emergency use authorization for their vaccine in um, people ages 12 to 15 uh, because they, they released, although I have not been able to see the data myself, they are saying that their initial study showed that um, it seems to work the same in people ages 12 to 15. Um, than it did in older teens and adults, and that is 100% efficacy against preventing death. Death is pretty rare in that group, and the study was much smaller than the original 30 to 40,000. Um, it was um, uh, 2,000, 2,200, and they have just last week started uh, actually vaccinating their next um, phase, which is down to the age of six months, so six months to age 11. So it is possible that children will be, be able to be vaccinated soon. Well, that is great so. news for our, our younger populations. And I'm afraid we're it, all it out is. of time today, Dr. Alleman. Yeah. So I hate uh -huh. to cut us short, but uh, no, thank you. we will be thank back next Wednesday. Clear. So yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Yeah, I'll Alleman. I'll be back this Wednesday. Jenny's taking some time to do some other important work, and I'll be with you on Wednesday. Sounds good. See you then. Okay. And that is it for today's edition of Community Pulse. We'll be posting this show at kopn.org and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts later today. You can catch the show again live on Wednesday at 9 a.m. And Between the Lines is up next, so do stay tuned.